Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. Our hope is that this message will share that gospel, truth, and love in a way that will bless you, enrich you, and better equip you as a disciple. Today we're starting a new series, Yesterday, Today, Forever, which comes from Hebrews chapter 13, 8, which we're going to read together. It is our tradition to stand and reverence the Word of God, so if you're able, and you're not doing so yet, you may join The Word of God says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being present. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for grace. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the praise of your people. Father, I ask that you would speak now. Your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. This verse reminds us that God is faithful all of the time, that God is the God of yesterday and today and forever. And so we're going to study God's faithfulness together. Sorry, for a moment I look out and I see some faces that just warm my heart. Uh, and I am so thankful to see some of you out here. Um, I am thankful to see Bill and Barb Anderson. Y'all are so dear to me, and I thank you. Uh, it's great to see you. Um, wow. Caught me off guard. You look out and you see people you love, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I ought to say something. People so important. I don't like having my sermons interrupted. <laughs> but I'm thankful that God sees fit to interrupt me when it's needed. Today I'm going to begin the series by talking about yesterday. It's a three-part series, so you'll never guess what's coming. <laughs> it's a subtle title. Yesterday, today, forever. We start today with yesterday. And with that in mind, as I was preparing this lesson over the last two weeks, um, it won't surprise you that I had a song stuck in my head. And, and I didn't tell Laura to wear her Beatles shirt, but she's got it on. <laughs> and so uh, I even had one of my friends in the back say, are you going to, we going to listen to yesterday? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to invite my friend Kenny back up. And I'm going to put in your head what's been in my head for the last two weeks. 
because I'm a giver. But I want you to hear this song because it's an important song yesterday. Did you know that it has been covered, meaning other bands have played it on their albums, it has been covered more than any song in history. Okay, so there's something about yesterday that catches people's attention, and and I want you to hear this song that Kenny's going to play. Now, you're going to put a little bit of your own style on it, but we'll allow that. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Yesterday came suddenly. That was awesome. 
All right, if you don't know Jesus. No, um, that, was, that was great. That was better than expected. Uh, if you, not that you're not great, just that was, that was like transcendent. I don't have a follow-up for that. That was great. Um, okay, so I believe in yesterday. Me too. Just maybe not the way the Beatles meant it. Because if you, if you listen to those lyrics, yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away, but now it looks as though they're here to stay. I believe in yesterday. Suddenly I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Yesterday came so suddenly. Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play, but now I need a place to hide away. Well, I believe in yesterday. Yesterday, love was such an easy game. Okay, do you notice that they are wishing for yesterday? They're, 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 they're longing for yesterday because where they are presently, things are miserable. But where they were back then seemed great. I believe in yesterday. Okay. But I messed up yesterday too. So I, I believe in yesterday, but maybe a little differently than they mean it. Today I want to talk about why we need yesterday. And to do that, I, I want to actually, I, I, I forgot that this, I'm quoting uh, one of my favorite preachers, uh, Howard John Wesley, who... My friend Deja is here with us, Deja Wilson. You'll hear from her in a little bit today uh, during communion. But uh, she is a blessing to me. She is a, she is a gifted theologian, a gifted uh, teacher, a gifted speaker. Um, and, 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 and she had the opportunity to learn under one of the people that I value most, that I think is fantastic at what they do, that God is gifted and uses. Uh, Howard John Wesley, and he tells a story about his father who preached for 20 years in the same congregation in Chicago and started every call to worship for 20 years with the same words. And he says, uh, thank God for memory. Every Sunday for 20 years, thank God for memory was his call to worship. And, 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 and Howard John Wesley talks about how he laughed as he went to seminary and trained in homiletics, which is fancy for preaching. And he, and he, and he studied liturgy, which is fancy for uh, worship. And, and he studied ecclesiology, which is fancy for church, because we're paying all that money. We need to know these words. And, and as he studied all this, he started to think that his dad lacked creativity or passion but now he realizes how wrong he was. That there's something critical in knowing what God has been up to. What God has brought you from. What God has actually carried you through. This is actually why we gather around the table each week. This is why we share a story over a meal together to remind ourselves this is collective memory of what God has done for us. So I'm going to talk a little bit about why we need yesterday. 
And to do that, I want to look at John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. You say, Adam, we just got done studying John. I know, but we didn't do this part from the stage, so we're going to do it. Jesus has just healed a woman, or he's just forgiven a woman that they were trying to put to death for committing adultery. He says, whoever is without sin, you may throw the first stone. And if you remember that story, it says that they all walked away. Who walked away first? The older people. It says that in your Bible. It mentions it. It says the older people left first. Why? Okay, that's the nice way of putting it. They're smarter. That was an older person. No, I'm just playing. Um, but <clears throat> maybe, maybe they're smarter. Maybe they're wiser, right? Or maybe they've lived longer, which means they've sinned more. Exactly. Odds are that they know, okay, they've lived long enough to realize none of us are perfect. And so they, they head out and walk away. And the Pharisees are mad. Surprise. So they begin to lecture Jesus. Jesus talks back to them in verse 31. Here's what he says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. And have never been the slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in a family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. All right, verse 33. We are the descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage to anybody. Now, you don't have to be a really good student of Scripture to recall just a little bit of Israel's story and maybe ask, wasn't there that whole Exodus thing? Like you only had to get to the second book of the Bible. If you were starting from the front, you only had to get to the second one before you say, hold on, there was that 400 plus years or so where the people of God were slaves in Egypt. Here are we encountering, and this is almost unthinkable, right? Israelites that are so many generations removed from the Exodus that they have no memory of their own story? Surely not. Forgetting your story is dangerous. When you don't know your story, you don't know the price of what you hold. Because some of the things you have now are costly. But you don't know their cost if you don't know the story behind them. 
In 2014, we had a flood in this building. And I lost a lot of books because the floodwaters rose up and all the books that were on the bottom of my bookshelves were ruined. And, 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 and I, if I had to estimate, which I did for the insurance, if I had to estimate the value of the books that were lost, the books that were lost, some of them were out of print, some of them, a lot of them were actually my, I told you we did that shelf, from the churches of Christ. Maybe it's best that I don't have these books anymore. Um, because they were all of these written records of all of the different arguments and fights that we've had. Uh, that, that, that our heritage may have said some things that I didn't think were Christ-like and I don't think are biblical. And when some of my enemies or opponents would say, we never did that. That was the shelf I would go to to say, yes, we did. I've got the book. Might be best that that went away. But... Those are not easily replaced. Some of the others were in sets. That to buy one is very hard, but to buy them all is almost impossible. So, so the value was in the thousands as far as dollars that I've lost in books from that flood. But there was one book in particular. When I walked into my office, I said, is this one okay? You can have all the rest of them. I needed to know if my grandfather's Bible was okay. That somehow the water, whether it was because it was hot or what, it had the steam, had anything damaged my grandfather's Bible. Now I knew it sat four shelves up, eye level, so that I can always look at it. I, I, I knew where it sits, but I had to go in and check on it because it meant more than all the other books that I had in my office. Do I have other Bibles in my office? I have almost as many Bibles in my office as I have crosses, if you've ever been in there. That's saying something. But there was one that mattered more. Thankfully, it was fine. But it's the one that meant the most. Why? Because I know the story of it. You might walk into my office and you wouldn't say that's the best Bible in there. It kind of looks worn. It looks like it might be ready to fall apart a little bit. It doesn't look like the one that you would say, this is the must-save item. But I know the story, and therefore I know how much that cost. That was years of his life, reading and praying and meditating and writing notes in the margins. I could pick that Bible up and preach for the rest of my life because of what's written in the margins. There's no more valuable thing in my life than that Bible in that office. When you don't know the story behind something, you don't understand how costly it is. And it takes the gift of memory to know that we've not always had what we now have. So people my age and up you young people, when you talk with your family members who lived through the Great Depression, they sound different, don't they? They think about things differently. First off, that's who taught you to can vegetables. 
And when, when kids see you doing it, you, they say, what are you doing? And you say, we're, we're canning these. Why? So that we can save them. And they're like, well, I'm trying to do the opposite. I'm actively working to not have okra around. Not me. I love it. But I know how people feel about it. They're like, I don't want any of that. Why are we canning it to save it? We can just go and buy a can at the store and they'll say, that's not always going to work. A little different when you have that experience. When that story is there, you know the value of things and you see it a little differently than people who don't know that story see it. Younger people, teens and younger. Have you ever had to help your parent with their cell phone or their computer? <laughs> look, look, look. Here's the deal we're not trying to be dense. <laughs> Believe it or not, there were times where people thought we were smart. <laughs> Like we could figure stuff out and then you gave us this phone and we don't know what to do and you say, no, just press the button for this. And we're like, I don't even have a button. It's just, there's a screen and there's no button on it. Like, what do you mean press the button? Like I, that you're talking a foreign language and you will grab it and you'll say, let me do it. And you hand it back to us. Understand, we're not digital natives. We weren't born into this world. We have immigrated. Some of us didn't want to come. <laughs> that, that this is your story and you've had it the whole time. We lived through that transition. When I graduated high school, no one except that one kid's dad who was a doctor had a cell phone. And that thing was a bag. <laughs> And it was more uncomfortable and unwieldy than if he had just bought enough line to bring his actual phone. <laughs> He's the only one who had one. And we all thought, that's dumb. <laughs> if you don't know the story, you don't understand how much things have changed. And you think people are just dumb. We're not dumb. But I will tell you this, I think that the devil is pretty smart. I think he's added a new level of hell. And I think that hell for your generation is going to be having to help your parents with a tech issue on their computer without being able to see the screen. It's going to be by phone. <laughs> and you're going to be like, okay, um, I need you to press the okay button. No, the okay button. No, it's not one of those three at the top. It should be a big button in the middle that says okay. What do you mean the screen's not on? I'll, I'm flying over. Those are a moment. Like, I think that's what it's going to be like for y'all. So just be ready. Avoid that. <clears throat> Where am I at? <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you know where God has brought you from? We need to remember our story. We need to remember what God has brought us from so that we can appreciate that we have been brought this far by someone paying a costly price. And if you don't appreciate the price, you will neglect the gift. 
When you don't know your story, not only do you not know the price of what you hold, you also don't know the path on which you're headed. So I've studied verse 33 a lot. We're the children of Abraham. We've, we're not enslaved to anyone. I, I simply can't believe they don't know about the Exodus story. Here's what I think they're saying. The best way I can make sense of it, because I, one of the best ways to read your Bible and actually have it mean something to you is to imagine they're real people um, who have minds that work. And so here they are. I think what they're saying is we have never been enslaved to anyone. So I don't need you to set me free. I think they've reduced the story of Israel down to their present generation. We currently are not slaves. No one would ever do that, right? Now, the, I, the demographic of the people who laughed at that was telling. Because we still kind of do this, right? I didn't own any slaves. And I reduced the story of Americans down to my generation. Do you see that? I know I stepped on some toes. But it wasn't personal. It was confessional. All right, they reduced this down. We are not slaves, so we don't need you to set us free, mister. They fail to see how what God is doing today is tied into the trajectory of what God was doing in their past. You need to know this. God is at work in your life. But God is not simply working in your life in a vacuum. God is so much God... That what he's doing in your life is an extension of what he started in creation. What he carried through Eden. What he brought in through the Exodus. What he delivered through covenant with Israel and fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. What he revealed in the Holy Spirit through the birth of the church. And growing through the ages so that now we are the continuing work of God. Who, by the way, will still be at work long after we're gone if history continues. We think of God as acting in our story, but it's really us who get called up and caught up in God's story. And if you don't know what God is doing in your life, what God has done in the lives of those around you, then you likely don't know what God is going to do in the future at all. You don't know the path you're walking. When you don't know your story, you don't know the people you should honor. To forget that they were bound in Egypt for 400 years is to forget Moses. To forget Miriam, Aaron, Joshua, 
Caleb. All those who paved a way to get them where they were. So that they start to think of themselves as having hit a triple. But they were born on third base because of the work of someone else. Here's a wise word for you. Be humble. There was a lot that was done before you got here. As a matter of fact, Brad, as it was mentioned, is teaching a class today and, and next Sunday where we're going to be remembering the story of this church community. You're going to hear a roll call of the people we should remember that are part of our story, the people worthy of praise for their faithfulness. Fourth, when you don't remember your story or you don't know your story, you don't know the praises you should have. Without a memory of yesterday, you may not realize why you should praise God today. My mind is drawn to Psalm 137. Psalm 137 begins in in the first four verses. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second. Go Go back to the first verse. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. The people of God have been carried away into exile. They're no longer in Jerusalem. Now they're in Babylon, and they're sad. They're upset. Why? Because they remember Zion. Notice they're not saying Jerusalem. This is more significant than that. Zion is the place where God is seated. Zion is the place where God's presence is. And yes, that was Jerusalem, but at the same time, it's deeper than that. This is not a place on a map so much as a place in one's faith. They said, we used to be in Zion, now here we are in Babylon. And we weep. There... On the poplars in Babylon, we hung our harps. We're not going to need them anymore. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy, and they said, Sing to us the songs of Zion. We love your music. Sing us a song from back home. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Sometimes giving thanks and praise is hard to do because our present is so painful. And when we compare Babylon where we are to Zion where we came from, where God dwells, then we say we're here but God is back there. And in this mindset they've limited the presence of God. They couldn't imagine that even way over here in Babylon God is with us. God reminds them and God reminds us that you can't shake him. That you'll never lose him. That he's not going away. That he is always with us. And God knows that it's easier to praise when we feel like God is with us. 
But your praise is not predicated on your place. Rather, it's an acknowledgement of God's presence. My praise is not about my current circumstances, but about God's presence and faithfulness. Praise should be offered in memory of God's mercy. To forget that they were slaves is to forget why they celebrate Passover. To forget the keeping hand of God that kept them from what should have killed them. How can they celebrate Passover with no memory of slavery? What does it even mean? I can't imagine there would be people who would come and celebrate in worship with no memory of what they've been delivered from. Uh oh. That, oh man, we went from then and there to here and now real quick, didn't we? Because there's, there are people who do that. They don't have any story of what they've been delivered from. They don't know what that is. But they will stand up and wave a hand when everyone else waves a hand. Or they'll respond if I say, Amen. They know to wake up and say, Amen. They know how to go along with it. They celebrate, but they don't have substance. And then then there are some people who who, who don't know the story. They have no memory, and they don't celebrate. Thanks for that. They come to church, and they think God should be happy they showed up. None of them come here. That's the good news. They're silent because they have no memory of where the Lord has brought them from. And I know, I know, I know, I know. Adam, I'm not really emotional. And so I don't get very emotional in my worship. Yep, I get that. But I also get that worship is logical. That if you know where you've been and you know what God has done that you couldn't do that has set you free and that has brought you here then logically there is no way you can withhold your praise. When you recall every door that God has opened, every prayer that God has answered, and every way that God has made, nobody has to tell you to stand up or praise. Because when I think of His goodness, when I think of all that He has done, I bless Him because He's good. And as a matter of fact, I will bless the Lord at all times. And His praise will, we need some Bible readers, His praise will continually be on my lips. Now one of our biggest struggles, and I'm, I'm closing it down, one of our biggest struggles is when we bring yesterday to mind, 
We let the devil convince us that the most memorable part of yesterday were our failures and our sins and our mistakes. The accuser wants to keep reminding you of what you did, of what you said, of how you failed, of how you came up short, how you let God down. For many, yesterday is full of regret and shame. I have good news. According to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus is the Lord of yesterday. The devil wants to keep your yesterday ever before your eyes. And here's the deal, you can't do a thing about it. Because I can't go into yesterday and fix the things I did then. I can't go backwards and remake that relationship. I can't go backwards and, 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 and heal the wounds I caused. But Jesus Christ is the Lord of yesterday. The bad news is that I messed up yesterday. The good news is I know somebody who can walk into your yesterday, blot out your past sin, reconstruct those circumstances, wash you thoroughly, and restore unto you the joy of your salvation and give you a new heart. Jesus, who is the Lord of yesterday, can fix it. Can you go ahead and bring your team up? You see, we need Jesus to redeem our yesterday. Because only then can we look back and see who God has called us and made us to be. You see, our job is to remember what we look like. To remember whom we look like. Most of us have distorted self-images that often alternate between equally damaging extremes. Self-adoration and self-loathing. But deep down inside, something is true about you that clarifies and removes all of that distortion so that we can see who we really are. And God wants you to know it. According to Genesis 1, chapter 26, or Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, you are made in the image of God. According to Romans 8:16, you are the child of God. According to Psalm 8.5, you are crowned with glory and honor and made just a little lower than the angels. You see, when you become God's child, something happens. Romans 3 and 24 says you were justified and redeemed. 1 Corinthians 1.2 says that you were sanctified and made holy. Romans 8.2 says that you're set free from the law of sin and death. Ephesians 1 and 13 says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3 and 12 says you were given access to God. Yes. Ephesians 5 and 8 says you were brought out of darkness and into light. Philippians 4.19 says all of your needs were supplied. Colossians 2.10 says that you were made complete. Colossians 3.3 says that your life was hidden with Christ in God. Philippians 4.7 says your heart and mind were guarded by the peace of God. Yes. Romans 15.7 says that you were accepted by God. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says you were made into a new creation. Ephesians 1.7 says that you were forgiven. Ephesians 2.6 says that you were seated in heaven. Ephesians 5.30 says you were made a member of his body. Ephesians 1, 10 and 11 says you were given an inheritance. Galatians 2, 4 says you were liberated. And Ephesians 2, 13 says you have been brought near to God. So don't buy into the lie that Satan is telling you that because of something you did yesterday, you are somehow not worthy of honor or love. Jesus is the Lord of yesterday. And I believe... In yesterday. I believe in what Jesus has done. And if today you find yourself in a place where you need to redeem your yesterday, don't wait. There's not a better day to give your life to Christ than today. Now that's next week's sermon, but today's invitation. There's not a better day than today to give your life to Christ. If you want to be His and let the Lord of yesterday walk into your yesterday and redeem it so that you know your story and you can claim God's story as your own so that you can know your path, you can know who to praise. You can lift up a shout and know who you are. Then come while we stand and sing together and give your life to Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message has been a blessing to those listening. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives in ways that are evident and easily seen. Most of all, I pray thank you for loving us and choosing us. We don't deserve it, but you are so good and so faithful and so true. We thank you for your spirit and your son. May we grow in them to your glory, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.